This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to the awful and awesome entertainment rap. You're listening to the awful and awesome entertainment rap and this is Dipanjana Pal with Rajeshree Sen. I'm sounding very excited because after only a week's delay we've managed to get Jerry Pinto yes acclaimed author and journalist to wake up in time to talk and to us yes so jerry is going to be talking to us all the way from wellesley which is in northern america and frozen from the sound of things aside from that we are going to talk about riverdale archie's comics comes back but oh my god this is this is beautiful it's fabulous So that's something we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about Kangana Ranaut on Karan Johar's show because how can you not when you're talking about pop culture, which is what we do. All this and a little bit more coming up on Awful and Awesome. Today, <laughs> and the person shrieking from the back is Jerry Pinto, who is uh, the second author to be on the podcast after Chetan Bhagat. So we've gone from ridiculous to sublime this time. I want to know why did you call it murder in Mahim when it's a murder in Matunga? Actually, you see, this is the bizarre thing about Bombay. <laughs> yeah. The Matunga Road station is in Mahim. You go figure. Why would they do that? I think it's a bit of gentrification. You know the way the people call themselves Upper World. Yes. Or <laughs> Parel. Huh. Yeah. It's exactly like that. So. a bit of mahim wants to be matunga because we'd like to be south indian brahmin and nicely settled and to cross the bank but we only wear tattered sarees to to the man- mandir but unfortunately we are mahim scatological we are improper we are we resist gentrification we are cosmopolitan jerry's just written a new book called murder in mahim it's an absolute departure from his last novel M and the big hoon. What what number book is this? Fifty, fifty one. No, no. Actually, it depends on how you're counting, na. So if you count all the books that have my name, then it's about twenty seven or something like that. And I've forgotten. And fiction novels. Fiction novel. It should be. I think it would be kind of like if you would you count the graphic novel as yes, well. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. And the baby novel, like uh, yes, the bear called Tisha. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's number four. Okay. I'm a slow writer. So I'm disappointed. I must say. I think. Wow. Oh, such, it's a very small number. Such demands. <laughs> um, so, Emin, the big home you spent how many years writing? Twenty. And murder in Mahim has taken how many years About to go? Two and a half years, I think. But did you uh, like? Has this been something that you wanted to do for a while, like a crime novel? See, I think you know. I've been trying to figure out why I wrote it actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that what happens is that if you read a lot in a certain genre, yeah, you know, I read lots of comics, so I did a graphic novel. I read a lot of children's fiction, but only when I was an adult. When I was a child, I didn't read terribly hmm. much children's fiction because I was trying to read pornography. You know, when you're a child, you want to read adult fiction. Yeah. You're an adult. You suddenly feel this longing to read Wind in the Willows. And so I read a lot of the of my role dolls and things that you know, you ICSE types. Y'all, you read in from libraries. I read them in adult in adulthood. So I think if you if you do a lot of reading in a particular genre, suddenly you want to add to that genre. You want to be part of that big bunch of people. You know, you want to be one more Agatha Christie type, yeah. one more you know, like you want to join the detection club. <laughs> 
as simple as that. Underneath that was also this anger about uh, Section 377 and what it does to 10% of the population. Of 10% of the population is the figure that I think it's that's a great understatement. I think it's much it's a much larger percentage simply because if you think about like situational homosexuality, which must exist hugely in cities simply because of the disproportionate number of men that there are in cities, they certainly don't take part in the gay. Uh, identity, hmm. as we know the identity in in a certain urban elite sort of way, but they they are doing what you would call MSM, right? So this ten percent figure, I think, is vastly under underreported. Now you in with section three seventy seven, you've turned all these people into criminals, whether they consent or not. If your husband decides to go down on you, then he's a criminal. Yeah, you've you've done something. Slightly experimental in bed, you're a criminal. What kind of law is this? It's so stupid, and it is—it so annoyed me. It so angered me when the Supreme Court justices, in their great wisdom, decided to read down the Delhi High Court's verdict. The Delhi High Court's verdict was beautifully argued. It was argued with with such historic validity. It looked at. Context all over the world. It looked at culture. It looked at all these things and brought a good argument to the table. And then the the you know Supreme Court, in its wisdom, he said because he didn't want to go to jail or in for contempt of court. In its great wisdom, the Supreme Court wrote knocked down. And I thought like, hey, you know, there's one way to do this is to sort of like wave a finger in people's faces and say you we must all fight Section 377. Mm-hmm. And another way is to tell a story. and to sneak a message into the story quietly quietly and hope that people will buy the message while they're reading the book so tell me something <laughs> peter de souza or peter fernandez oh gosh you know um there's a moment uh, <laughs> <laughs> i have the feeling that what happened is that uh, <laughs> my publishers are in delhi ha huh. and delhi you know fernandez de souza yeah it's all the same all the same <laughs> in calcutta in bombay in madras hmm. there's a much greater awareness of uh, of the roman catholic world in a yeah. certain way we are much more kind of there but as in delhi it's like you know when i go to delhi and i say jerry pinto people say pinto you know it's i don't think any figure that you ever write is is modeled on one person one. it's modeled on uh, generally on a composite of people so i I had this very fond feeling that you know that uh, Peter Fernandez was me, okay. <laughs> and then I I told this to Sunita Chitrapu, who is the head of the department of SCM now, hmm. so fire with uh, social communications yeah. media, and she laughed uproariously, and she said he's a nice guy. See, the thing is that in almost every act of of fiction making, and this is the wonderful thing about fiction that you can actually can create com- composite characters. with non fiction you really sort of like stuck with you know this ipanjana yeah. when you're working with raja ravi varma you're stuck with raja ravi mm. you you can't bring in bits of egon shield just because you like egon shield or he said a really interesting thing there <laughs> you might be able to refer to it but you can't do it whereas i'm thinking you know i was just i created this composite character of someone trying to be 
uh, understanding, trying very hard to understand across sexuality, across sophistication levels, across cultural levels, and across time also. You know, like, I mean, he's he knows he's 50. He knows his son's in his 20s. He knows there's a different world out there, but he doesn't know how to pass this world. You know, he has... He has he, no one's ever told him how to do it. Even his relationship with Leslie is very clearly an othering relationship. He's not been very comfortable with Leslie until he's got to seek him out because his son yeah. is in this situation yeah. and it, and he's worried and he's he's wondering. So one of the things, I mean, you know, uh, I was very concerned at that point also about uh, him not being, it not being too easy a transition. Oh, suddenly, you know, in, generally in fiction, there's that one moment where everything breaks through blindingly yeah. and you suddenly love everything mm -hmm. that you want, that you, you know, that you hated till that point in time. And I think one of the things about, about finding that your child is different in whatever way, hmm. you know, whether it's uh, sexually different, it is intellectually different, autistic, whatever, the first thing that hurts a parent is, will, he, will my child be hurt by this? Will he not get what other children get? And that wound of vulnerability that parents have is so, so great. You know, I've seen it in all my friends who've become parents. Almost effortlessly overnight, the child makes them vulnerable in a way they've yeah. never been vulnerable before. You can insult them. You can say what you want to them. But you say something about their child and that hurts so deeply. What was very tender to me was also the uh, two contrasting takes on being a protector. So you have Peter kind of being the paternal protector and you have Shiv Zende who's got a very, you know, the law enforcement protector role. One of the things that fascinates me because, and it is a very reluctant fascination is my... Uh, interest in power, in how power operates, you know, and one, uh, it's it's amazing how fluid power is. You know? Like for instance, I went from being privileged elite in Bombay, I've come to Boston to do a residency, and I'm the guy who has to be helped. Growing up in Bombay, for me, the policeman was like the ultimate sign of of authority and terror mixed up. Hmm. You know. My moment, the first time I came to, I went abroad to England and I, I saw a black woman screaming at a cop, you know, shouting at him and saying, I know my rights, you don't touch me. I'm just... And I thought, my God, if you said, I know my rights to a Bombay policeman, you will get he one slap. The rights with a lati finished, your <laughs> rights would be written on your back in nice red stripes. We tend to forget just how vulnerable the, um, like you were saying, Section 377 made hmm. men. Because we're so used to seeing men so as uh, powerful people. This is also part of the construct of patriarchy. It's men's doing it to themselves. See, You know, for instance, when we talk about rape, there's been a lot of discussion of rape, and I'm very glad that there is this mm. discussion. Sometimes can be a lit, to me, a little pathological because there seems to be a lot of dwelling on the details rather than on the broad picture and on the on solutions. Rather, there's constant focus in crime journalism on what happened and when it happened and how it happened and whatnot, instead of just looking at the broad picture. But I, the discussion is important, and it's good, good that it started. But no one ever discusses the possibility that men are raped as well all the time and we'll never talk about it 
because to talk about it is to admit that you have been placed in the position of a woman yeah you have given up your masculinity in that moment hmm. and you have been forced into this position which is why that constant question that gay men always asked who's the girl who's the boy yeah you know gay couples always hmm. ask that question who's, who's the, the girl wife, who's the who's boy who's the yeah. top why is it important it's important because we want to know who's daddy yeah we want to know who's mister and then we can understand the power equation that is going on there because we want the power equation to look heteronormative we want it to look like a man woman relationship then it can be understood easily but we know sexuality is not like that we know it's fluid we know it's constantly changing you know so this this thing that men have done to themselves their vulnerability a little boy is as vulnerable as a little girl because they are you know they are also at the stage in which there's not much sexual differentiation they can be used by the predator very easily you know predators don't really care but the little boy has very little chance to say anything the little girl doesn't either i'm not saying that yeah, there's no, a no, no, no. space but i'm saying men guard their secrets much more deeply than women but women often pay the price for men's guarded secrets because that anger and that violence is then carried into the marriage relationship because it's an unresolved anger and violence about about rape i mean in all the years of hindi cinema that mm. i have seen i can remember maybe two instances of male rape but i think what mm. you touched on very well was also this thing of viewing older men as because we are so used to crime around us now and sexual crime of viewing an older man who is looking after younger looking after children and he's actually doing it out of the goodness of his heart that of mm. course he must be a sexual predator writing about a city that has changed so dramatically and you've been you're one of the most passionate people about bombay that i know you know it intimately well you try to keep abreast with how it's changing despite how much you might hate the change or like the change what is it like to bring that shifting quality of this tremendously dynamic city into a book where it is going to become static you know the funny thing is that uh, short of like putting up a camera and saying a still camera i mean a camera somewhere in, in the corner and saying okay i will record every single thing that happens to this you can't avoid the shifting target that is the city uh, one of the definitions of a city that i really like is where ideas come to mate you know that That's a city lovely. is a place ideas come to mate it's a lovely i don't know who said it but it's a lovely hmm. idea so the thing is that we all bound by our geography right we are, you're living in in mahim you're walking around i walk constantly in the city i walk uh, you know i i try to walk as much as i can uh, so that what happens when you walk is that the pace of your encounter is slowed down so you can actually you know look at shops you can look into shops you can stop and have conversations and the gorgeous thing about bombay is because i think it's such a lonely city at a fundamental level mm. so many people are very very lonely the young men who come here without their families uh, the old ladies who are sitting at home without without their families because the families have gone abroad the old men at the parks who have been who are constantly being told just go and lie down na or go and say your prayers mm. this is how we talk to the old right 
the young children who are just, who are only with their aunt, uh, with their ayas. There's so much loneliness that you can start a conversation anywhere, and it can be a really deep, enriching conversation if you want it to be one. I think because we we know in in our hearts that there are so many people and so many stories that even our deepest intimacies will be lost in the crowd. Hmm. That this person who is talking to me will talk to ten other people and he will forget who I am. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if I tell him; it will be lost. It'll go. It'll it'll flow past. Okay. So walking and talking, it's that's the you know say okay. My fundamental question always to people is, what is a city? Okay, and often there is this mistaken notion that the city is the built-up structures, or the brownstone, or the lovely old bodies, or the this, or Lutyens, Delhi, or Connaught Place, etc., etc. Palookas, nonsense. That's not a city. <laughs> a city is actually a collection of stories. Lovely. And this is why we are all in the city because the stories are low-hanging fruit. There's so <laughs> yeah. many of them everywhere. You know, and she's like, all you have to do is stop for a moment. So, you know, when I, at Sophia, when I, I tell my students, don't cut yourself off from the world with those earphones mm. and you know, like, I mean, and plugging it into the iPod. I understand that for women, especially, sometimes you need certain defensive strategies. But in the ladies' compartment, take them yeah. off. Chat the lady in front of you. Help her with her with her feeling of her oh, of registry. her feelings, and suddenly you you know her world will open up to you. She'll tell you about her sasuma's problems. She'll tell you about where she got her one gram gold. She'll tell you how to get your one gram gold. She'll tell you all kinds of things, and you know you may never use this, but even if you're listening to her rhythms. Even if you're listening to how she frames her sentences, you're learning something about character development. You're learning something about the way this city works, and that is the secret. The secret is not like the big plans and the dreams. It's the way we interact with the city, the small things that we do to make the city happen for us, and that is what I'm fascinated with. You know, so like Shivaji Park, yeah. But what I'm fascinated in Shivaji Park is not the size. Or the you know who planted the trees around it. I'm interested in the grandmother who is wearing the navvari sari, and she is walking with a little girl in lycra tights, so tight. <laughs> like she can't breathe. Yeah, my goodness. But Granny is quite proud that her granddaughter can wear these yeah. things. She would never wear them herself. She would never condone them in her daughter-in-law. But she will allow it in her granddaughter. Yeah. Find that fascinating. I find that just—I often want to stop and say, "How do you do this?" How does this <laughs> of course, I don't because it's a very subtle balance and a very subtle balance, and you don't want to disrupt that balance, and you don't want this poor kid to be denied her like her tights, yeah. right? Like she should wear them as long as she wants to and as long as she can. But I'm saying it's just interesting to watch how people negotiate with the city. That's the fascinating thing about. It. Okay, Jerry, tell me the whole bit about that night walk in Kolaba, the gay underbelly. Uh, did you go uh, for a walk and meet everyone? I'm assuming you did. Hundreds of walks. Yeah. Hundreds of walks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the walks. characters are delightful, the ones and the names that they have, each of them. And See, the guy. See, everybody was Rahul. Huh? I have never met such a 
proliferation of rahuls i would now call you like if there is a, a proper noun for i mean a collective noun for rahuls it should be a genus of rahuls Every which which therefore fits Shahrukh Khan's character's name in it's every Shah film. Shahrukh Khan's character, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Shahrukh Khan is the perfect embodiment of what every gay man wants to be. Yeah. He's polymorphous, verse. You know, in a weird kind hmm. of way, he plays with it. Hmm. He's comfortable with an erratic and fluent sexuality. So he can, you know, that wonderful moment on on uh, I think it was on the Karan Johar show, no? Uh-huh. he said uh, karan johar says to him and to i think farah khan he Haan. says tell me a secret so farah khan says i'm a man yeah okay and he starts laughing and then shahrukh khan says i'll tell you an even greater secret i'm a man <laughs> let's just go back hmm. to walking the night yeah. see uh, one of the things about about bombay is this kind of cliche that it never sleeps yeah is actually very true about it's other life and it's hmm. very odd how completely schizophrenic certain places can be so that stretch outside the taj yeah during a it's kind of like really hoppy happy middle class you know yeah. like there are baloo sellers and there are uh, large families from satara all take, now all posing for selfies and there's people uh, you know there's all kinds of like happy stuff night falls and the sea becomes dark behind you Yeah, and suddenly that stretch becomes really, really interesting. It's just how tonally it shifts with the with the loss of light is just incredibly strange. So you're walking now through hijras, hmm. rent boys, gay men, um, uh, you know, sort of sex workers of every shade and description. Yeah. everybody is out there the arab is there the white man is there the pedophile is there the little boy uh, the young the man the eunuchs are out the, the cross dressers are out it's like mm-hmm. full of the cross dressers over there because everyone is yeah. there so it's just like there's there's no way it's almost like an almodovar film yeah <laughs> like, this, like this panoply of of possibilities you know and of course there are also just like people who are thieves and blackmailers hmm. and general cutthroats pickpockets everybody is there so it's i'm looking at this and thinking 2 hours ago this person <laughs> like that you know it it just completely changes so it's as if our streets yeah. lend themselves to constant reinvention you know hmm. it, you know some toilets become kind of like i remember going to one toilet and <laughs> this Loud gay voice saying, "Hey, mutne kala hi." Don't pee here, for heaven's sake! Like this is not meant for peeing right now. <laughs> so that uh, some young man who had also trailed in behind me said, "Kidan pee mutne kala." Fortunately, this this loneliness thing begins to work. You know, you say, "Let's go have chai. Let's sit down. Let's just talk." Yeah, and then they all the yeah. gently thought you were a journalist and writing a book. Then they say, "Don't put my name." Then they say, "Put my name." Then they say, "Don't put my name." <laughs> wing wong, wing wong between "Don't put my name" and "Put my name." You know, kind of like it just uh, obviously that you know, like for instance, Maheshwari Udyan was very di- Udyan was very different from uh, say uh, uh, Chopati Beach. Hmm. You know, each area seemed to have its own kind of like vibe. 
and uh, after a bit you know when i wrote it's like this huge long passages which i had to cut out eventually because one of the things that you've got to be is a filter you the writer has to be yeah. a filter you know yeah. if you put, if i put in everything that i heard all the stories that i that i was told about you know businessmen and children uh, young boys who bought flats and this and that and this dancer who used to come and do this little spin and you know used to spin on the tip of his penis and something like, you know, like, yeah i can All guess time. i can guess which dancer it is the spinner <laughs> but i'll tell you later <laughs> Okay. okay. So it was kind of like, uh, oh, and you know, of course, the always the stories of the big cars that come and mm. who the actors are who come to pick up people at this place and at that place, and that guy, na, he slept with so and so, and that guy slept with so and so. This constant that that also was another kind of undercurrent, you know, this obsession with natural obsession, I think, with glamour, with with money, with celebrity. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, so now tell us about the next book that you're writing, which you were telling me about, the one which you're writing right now. Oh dear God! <laughs> you know, see, um, just after I'm in the big home finished, na, hmm. uh, I remember reading this wonderful thing about uh, about Salman Rushdie, that uh, even when Midnight Children came out and it became a great big success and everyone was talking about it, he was already halfway through his next book. <laughs> He was already writing his next hmm. book, and I thought, and seriously, see, that tells you something. One about the guy's commitment to his writing, yeah, and second also tells you something about his uh, about his not worrying about what the response is. You know what I mean? Like you just got like push on. Yeah. So, for instance, in Murder and Mahim, like when I realized I was writing a murder mystery, I thought the first thing. Everyone is going to say is after him. And the big home, you're writing a murder mystery. <laughs> sensibly and logically, I should not have done that. But I'm not sensible. I'm not yes, sensible. I was going to say, but <laughs> that's the problem. Also, yeah, and also, you know, uh, I'm. I find it very difficult to do things I don't want to do. Hmm. I'm. I must want to do this, and then I will do it, and I will try and do it as well as I can. But if I don't want to do it, then it becomes like such a drag on you that you. There's no point, poise. Okay, here's the deal. I started this career quite uh, very fairly well aware that there wasn't going to be terribly much money in it hmm. on a regular basis. Then once in a while, like you know, the gods are kind and like Wyndham Campbell happens yeah. or no, money happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that I'm not comfortable now. I'm saying that I started with this thing that I want to be free. I want to be free to do what I want, and therefore, even when I mean, the big home is a wonderful thing that happened to me, I think like sometimes I don't know if I wrote the book or just like toink it happened something. You know, I I I feel ah so good. <laughs> me, I did that. It's a funny feeling. So, as good as it is, I'm not going to be bound by I mean the big home either. Yeah. That won't be my patkadiya. Those won't be my chains. That expectation management I will not do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if I what I want to do is is uh, murder mystery, then I will do murder mystery. And if I want to do next one, I want to do chick flick lit. I, I really do. think you should. If he writes a chick lit, I think you'd make a great chick lit yeah. writer. But Jerry had written one book. Have you? Re- no, do you remember? No, no. no. Eight romances. You wrote eight. I, Eight romances. Are you secretly a Milson Boone writer also? 
I'll tell you what. When my sister, when she was, when you know, my sister was always a little richer than I am because she saved her money. So at one point she was eating milzen boon and she put a bit down this milzen boon and said, "I'm really sick of these of these soppy heroines. Huh. You know, like who? There's this guy, for instance, who owns like you know, her brother has uh, lost money to this casino owner <laughs> and the casino owner saying you have to sleep with me and whatnot. And she agrees. It's really stupid. I get. So I said, I'll write you a milzen boon. Yeah. Won't be like that. So she said, "Really?" So I said, "Yeah, but I, you know, I'm not doing it free." <laughs> so I used to get paid three hundred rupees per milzen boon. <laughs> That's quite good. So I have to say, this was a good lesson that Jerry taught, which I follow. That never write for free. See, I spent the large majority of my life as a freelance journalist, and I have no regrets about that. I was, I mean, you know. I enjoyed myself tremendously, and I used to look at the at the poor saps who were working for <laughs> salaries, <laughs> and you know, like I mean, they would they seem to think it was really difficult to turn out a piece a week. What really kind of got my goat was that every year they would get raises, and they would complain about those raises to mm. me. I'd say, you know, you only got five percent this year and ten percent this year and whatnot, and I'd say, uh, did you think about getting a raise for the freelance journalists who write for you as well? Or did you just ask yeah. for your own sense? You selfish bastards! <laughs> and of course, they never did. So, how's that so, one word after another word going now for the new one? You know. <laughs> okay, so actually, I thought I would come to Wellesley and do the second draft. Okay, so the first draft would be over in Bombay, and then I would come. But then, what your friends got ill, and other friend had you know like legal problems, and had to sort of help out and. Eventually, I brought the first draft with me. Now the first draft is handwritten. Okay, yeah. so I can't. I mean, I, I I'm not taking that risk that I'll lose it in transit or something. So I xeroxed <laughs> it. So I xeroxed three thousand pages and brought them along with me. Okay. <laughs> now I have to. And three thousand pages. I mean, you know, I should be done. I, I don't think this book will be more than fifty, sixty thousand words. So far, I have typed in about two hundred thousand words. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to talk about the book. <laughs> and there is a, and you know, someone asked me today, where is the book at? My editor, you know, long suffering Ravi Singh, said like, where is the book at? Like, just give me an idea. So I said, it's two third written of the first draft. He said, oh, <laughs> it is actually very lonely. You know, I've never, I mean. Actually, for I'm I'm quite I'm a sort of gregarious kind of person. I hmm. I like people. I like chatting to people. This is the worst possible job for me. You know, you're alone with a sheet of paper. Yeah. And of course, your head is buzzing with people, and they're all spilling out onto the page. But hours and hours are spent, must be spent alone. Thank you so much for uh, staying up and doing this. It was not at all. You're actually doing fun. it. Not the problem. The problem was staying. Up. Yeah. As always, lovely talking to you, the Panjana. Thank you so much, Rajshri. I think this podcast will be awesome, and not because of me, but because of you. Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. I think you'll help. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee with Karan is now, as far as I'm concerned, a little bit stale. Yeah, it's like after all, how many times will you hear the same stars try and come up with witty lines and sarcastic comments and digs? 
for how many seasons now it kind of shows you how stale the industry itself is because they're making the same kinds of films yeah. they're not being exposed to a new set of ideas they're expected to have the same persona in front of mm. their public no one gets to change and as a result what you see in a show like coffee with karan is just the same thing no and just different permutation combinations of the people who are sitting i think actually karan johar would have been relieved that kangana ranaut made headlines with her performance yeah. on the show because she was the first flash of brightness as it were yeah. in this season it is also for me though the fact that this episode was quite obviously to promote rangoon something that he went yeah. on to say by the end of the episode it shows me that he's also aware that he needs to yeah stop uh stop ignoring the news cycle as it yeah. were uh he's stayed away from this he does not do film promotions mm. on the show which makes sense as a producer himself it's a conflict of interest no and everybody else is doing it so what is the point of uh, him also being part of the same so this ratchets? week well rather last week we hmm. saw kangana ranaut and saif ali khan performing as it were who i love saif you love saif he's just fabulous you still love saif i still love i think he's classy funny uh he's very noble whatever kangana came in a white dress and blonde hair okay so that blonde hair was scary she's a very attractive woman but that blonde hair is because it was this straw blonde and it looked like a needed conditioning she was also living proof that indian coloring yeah. cannot carry blonde hair like however Kang- fair you yeah, are if kangana like ranaut really can't make it work you and i so definitely do not stand a chance among the things that she dished out to karan johar was that he is kind of the great uh, godfather of nepotism in bollywood that he'd been horrible to her yeah. in the initial stages of her he'd career he'd made fun of her accent he'd made fun of her accent and that if there was a biopic of ranaut's life then the arch villain would be karan johar yeah now there's been a lot of chatter about how uh, gracious um karan johar was to accept all of that criticism and i think that's fair because no we- he was spotting he didn't look particularly like miffed and all he was like oh and he was like rolling his eyes and all that so i think that was in a way like we've seen after all we've seen bhupendra chobe and all who are seasoned interrogators like get totally flummoxed and or totally uh, like they are so uh, upset when they are confronted by any criticism and not just bhupendra across the board the reason why he deserves credit in my book is mm. that ultimately that show is his so yeah. if he wanted to cut all of this out absolutely even could if have. she no so i don't know how much of it is that he didn't cut it out because she will then go and give some interview saying that it got cut but i think karan johar is uh, enough of a star in his own right to say even during the shooting that okay let's just do this again it's coming across as rude and no one including kangana ranaut who is a guest on his show will be able to say no i'm not going to say it again then he'll just leave that portion out he'll say then we'll do another question so that definitely he came he did come across as gracious yeah 
and uh, and I think, like I said, he needed the spark that Kangana Ranaut brought for the show because it's been a bit of yeah. a dud otherwise. So all of that notwithstanding, I love Kangana Ranaut. She says anything and I do think that it's very calibrated right she knows that uh, she, like she said she doesn't appear for certain ads she yeah, doesn't yeah. appear for, so she needs to get her publicity in this way but like for instance in another interview for Rangoon she, she was said about Shahid that she, basically Shahid's snot was coming but into Shahid her mouth but gave an interview after that and he said it's all in her head I've never had this right. conversation and this is the thing she, she knows that this sort of stuff will be said she's yeah. seen the kind of backlash that happened when the whole Ritik Roshan, hmm. uh, L'Affaire Ritik, yeah. um, blew up in her face. She's completely aware that she's essentially pissing off a lot of people yeah. like this. I like the fact that she does it anyway. No, that's what. And that she does, it's not like someone who is doing it because she has no standing in Bollywood anyway. Like I anyway do art cinema, so I can say any. She has given some of the best film she has starred in from Tanu Wets Manu to uh, Queen. Queen. I think Rangoon will be very good also. So she's one of the few actresses who's actually done films which are heroin oriented films. So definitely she's very impressive. And it's uh, it's a reminder of how difficult it is to be not generally a person who has opinions and be liked by one and yeah. all it's very hard to do that but particularly as a woman like as a star a male star someone no, like, like Shah Rukh or Salman would say all these things exactly and it wouldn't actually yeah. be water off anybody's back mm. in that sense no, no everyone would say ah, at least funny. he mentioned yeah. me you know that's yeah. enough but when Kangana picks up a name and says mm, whatever mm. like when she said about Shahid that he is moody he came on the show later and he's so grumpy about that one little no, semi-criticism. I, I thought both the guys were like, Seth looked, was rolling his eyes and doing, but then he's so cute. And he was, I just think you have a thing for men with beards now. Miss Sen, yes. did you read Archie's comics as a child? Yeah. But not like I wasn't obsessed with them. Like hmm. I know people who'd buy those digests, hmm. Archie comic digests, which had some 500 pages. Hmm. So I liked Archie comics, but I was not a diehard fan. So um, I read my first Archie's comic at 26 years of age. because uh, Which you should not have done because then it's even worse. So when I read Archie's for the first time, I did not understand what was the big deal, right? So, Archie was the precursor to Kuch Kuch Hota Hai. Yes. It was the it's inspiration it it's for... It's the inspiration for Kuch Kuch Hota Hai because Kajol's character played Betty, Betty. and uh, Rani Mukherjee was Veronica and Shah Rukh was Archie. So, it is what people uh, thought America should be, that you have this little school and everyone's friends and you have the cool girl and you have the sweet girl and you have the uh, jughead who's the asexual guy although he did have a girlfriend Jughead was seeing uh, Ethel a big Ethel mm. and Moose was the jock Moose was seeing Midge who was this very cute little thing and then you had Principal and all that so it's beautiful that while in Bollywood Archie's inspired Kuch Kuch Hota Hai away in America Archie's is inspired Riverdale <sighs>
Oh my God. Every corpse has a tale to tell, and this one has the touch of evil. Archie, a kid is dead. I saw you guys. Riverdale is a retelling and reimagining of mm. the Archie's comics world, which has been written by a host of writers, but one of the top credits goes to Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. The series has been directed by a bunch of people, as happens each day episode has a different director but uh, Lee Toland Krieger who did The Age of Adeline mm. has uh, directed three of the episodes there's also Alison Anders, David Katzenberg, great names and fabulous, fabulous storytelling and of course the reason you kept watching it is because of Luke Perry so first of all, <laughs> Riverdale was always happy, there were like Archie comics was always happy. They were happy. At most, they had heartbreak, but heartbreak finished by the end of the yeah. little it's story. It's town with pep, yeah, as it it's says. Yeah, pep and fun and happiness. Riverdale, the show. So I knew that Riverdale had been made and people have been raving about it, but they are not very bright people, so I didn't take it very seriously. Till Dipanjana, who I think is very bright, told well, me that you mom. must. Yeah, she said, you must watch it, auntie. So I said, okay. And... I was, I am gobsmacked because they have taken, so the characters are all there, Archie, Reggie Mantle, uh, Moose, all of them Jughead. are there, Mrs. Grundy, Jughead, uh, Mr. Weatherby, everyone, so Ethel and Midge have not made her. No, Ethel is there. So what they've done is they've taken all the characters. They've taken Riverdale. They've taken that super clean, squeaky, shiny Americana. And that love dynamic. And between. the love dynamic, that triangle. But they have turned it into a crime thriller. And it's fabulous because it's dark. There are also, there's things which obviously weren't there in Archie comics at that point. So uh, this is not a big suspense thing. So I'm just going to see it and then Archie's fans can die. Moose is actually a closet gay man. Yeah. And, and Jughead is... A journalist. I don't remember Jughead being a journalist in no, Archie. But he's a writer. He's, he's a, no a writer. aspiring novelist and journalist. And there's a bad girl. There's an evil girl. And the parents also play a role here, mm. which they did not play in the earlier. In fact, is... Alice Cooper as a journalist yeah. is a really sort of interesting characterization because I think she sort of embodies both what is good mm. about journalism, that doggedness, yeah. the pursuit and passion, along with what the American public thinks of journalism. Like it's this frantic, poisonous, toxic yeah. thing that's just looking to pull people down. Uh, so that I thought was really interesting. Veronica's character. So Veronica Lodge, whose mother is Hermione Lodge, and you've seen the woman who plays her because she's acted in a whole bunch of serials. Marisol Nichols. Yeah, she's acted in a whole bunch of uh, serials before. They both come back to Riverdale because... Uh, Veronica's father is being investigated for corporate fraud and embezzlement and, and is in prison is in prison so they've shifted back uh, then you see so Veronica's a very interesting character because she's a little like gossip girls also so she's this very cool seems a little brittle around the edges and you think that she'll be a nasty girl but she actually seems to have quite a nice side to her and uh the friendship between her and betty is I very nice, really yeah. nicely etched out because on one hand there is see the relationship between betty and veronica was always very unequal unequal in the comics mm. right 
and uh, you kind of wondered why the good girl Betty was hanging yeah. out with Veronica in the first place. Yeah. You get it here. Yeah. You get that Veronica is like Betty's the protector, yeah, mentor. She's a protector and the brittleness that they've given Betty's character yeah. where she's so good, so nice, so sweet and just about to snap. Yeah. any minute she is like on the verge of a breakdown you feel and of course archie's father <sighs> that made it all worthwhile when i was because uh, for people of my generation who watched beverly hills 90210 there was of course shannon doherty and uh, jason priestley jason priestley who were brandon and brenda but there was dylan who was played by luke perry who is the bad boy and he's as ravishing and wonderful over here as he is Archie. delicious he's just when he walks on to screen you're like oh this all makes sense I now i just like to point out he also has a beard he but can we take a, beard, a moment yeah. to talk about archie kj appa is a delicious okay, boy okay what a name i yeah, want what is to... that name i don't care huh. can he just keep his shirt off all the time No, I don't like this like hairless thing that he has. There's a there are little references to Twin Peaks here and there. Twin There's Peaks to this thing to uh, my favorite show Mad Mad Men. Lots of where Mad they Men. call yeah they call Betty Cooper. They say you're like season five Betty uh, Draper. Betty Draper because There's, she puts uh, on weight. There's one point at which they say uh, they've thrown like no more Quentin Tarantino film references, please. It's a very very. Yeah. Um, You know what I love about the dialogue is that it's clever it's still got the high school lightness yeah. you know uh, not getting bogged down and yet they say some really tough dialogues like if you think about the words yeah. and the ideas that they're putting across and they're very dark relationship very dark relationship whether it's even whether it's Veronica and Archie Betty and Archie uh Betty's relationship with her mother uh Veronica's relationship with her mother is the only one which seems Close sort of to normal. Same. Even uh Luke Berry and Archie's relationship seems okay but Moose's relationship with there's a gay character who was never there. Dilton Toily is over here <laughs> so Dilton Toily is there there the other ones who had a spin-off comic book was Josie and the Pussycats so they are here. They are here. And they are very like black power yeah. and also it's quite cool but or even archie's which we won't say who yeah. he's actually archie's romance bizarre. yeah his romance is a romance which if the archie writers knew that this jb morganville would be very yeah. interested another little detail that i'm very very curious to see how it pans mm. out is the idea of twinning there is yeah. one pair of twins that we learn yeah. about cheryl and jason blossom Jason Blossom the crime that is uh, at the center of Riverdale the series is Jason Blossom's death. Yeah. One day he disappears and then his body is found like a little bit later. Like he goes with later. his sister. Yeah. Down, his twin sister. Uh, yeah. Who is a psycho woman but <clears throat> so these are the literal twins but it's not a coincidence that Jason is also a redhead and a yeah. football player just like Archie. Betty has a twinning relationship with a sister that we don't yeah. see so these invisible twins there's something going on here and i cannot wait to see how it pans out in the writing okay so we're coming to the end of this episode i hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to jerry pinto's words of wisdom and our words of can less I wisdom can i say a joke yes you can say a joke i just read it just now 
when cannibals capture men they show them pornographic pictures to get an erection so that there is more meat to eat ricky jovis has just said this it's quite funny it's funny don't take this away from me i'm not taking anything away from you i want to know how murder in mahim and jerry pinto and riverdale and it's hashtag tumorous tuesdays <laughs> Some people are killing Sorry. men for some reasons you yeah. want them to have an erection before they die. Great. Good to know. Okay, so it's question time. Last week I had asked about Gurdas Mann's marriage, the number of times he's got married. And uh two people know. I'm quite impressed. I'm impressed two people two know. People know. I'm not surprised that the two winners include Palash who uh, is one of our most dedicated listeners yes. so thank you Palash I hope Palash is telling his entire family and the colony to listen to our show I hope you are Palash the other person who got it right is Yogeshwar okay this week's question um as you might have gathered both Sri and I are extremely fond of Riverdale Sri happens to also be fond of another Netflix show called Stranger Things. Mm. There is one <laughs> character who is in Stranger Things and Riverdale. You need to tell me what is the role that she plays in Riverdale and her name. Okay? The actor who is in both Stranger Things and Riverdale, what is her name and what is the role she's playing in Riverdale? send in your answers to contact at newslaundry.com let us know what you thought of the episode we totally value all the criticism and critique that you give so please keep on uh, sending your emails and with that thank you miss sen thank you miss pal it's a rap all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.